following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. If you have a Bible with you, please turn with me to Ephesians chapter Five. If you don't have uh, something with you to turn to the scriptures and study with us, we will have the scriptures on the screens. If you don't own a Bible and you would like to, uh, we can totally fix that. We buy Bibles by the case because we really like giving them away. We think everybody should have a Bible. So you can see someone at the connection kiosk after the service if that's you. Let us bless you with a Bible. So what we're doing this week, we're continuing in our verse-by-verse study through the book of Ephesians. Now we've named this series, Death to Division, Because one of the major themes of this pastoral letter from Paul to the church at Ephesus is that our sin created a dividing wall between us and God while also separating us from one another. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 14 says that Jesus broke down that dividing wall, making redemption, restoration, and reconciliation possible through his perfect life, sacrificial death, and triumphant resurrection. So this week, we'll be breaking into chapter 5. Now, chapter 5 is most famous for its instruction on marriage. That's towards the end of the chapter, and we're going to explore that next week. However, the first portion of chapter 5, which we'll be working through this week, is full to the brim with truth that if it is received with humility and joy, it has the power to both encourage and correct us. So... Let's approach these verses both humbly and joyfully, and we'll see what all the Lord has for us today. So we're going to read Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 21, okay? Here we go. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. But immorality or impurity or greed must not Even be named among you, as is proper among saints. There must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty, that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them, for it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light, for everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason it says, awake sleeper and arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Praise God for his word. Amen. So as we come back up to verse 1, we'll just go verse by verse here. 
The word therefore, it's the first word we read, it helps us to know that even though Christians came along at a later time and added chapters and verses to the scriptures in order to help God's people study and, and memorize them, which I think is a good thing, th- this beginning of chapter 5, it's tied to the flow of thought in chapter 4. Because he said, therefore. So he's talking about something from before. Chapter 4, which I'm saying this flow of thought comes out of, it begins with these words. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Now, as we break into chapter 5, Paul is still unpacking what it means to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. And he keeps circling back to this one idea, this big principle that should guide the conduct of those who've been rescued from the frustrating futility of walking in a manner other than that which we were created for. What is the big principle? What is the one idea that summarizes all the specific examples that Paul's been giving us for what it looks like to walk in this manner worthy of our calling? I I took a lot of time, I thought and prayed about this, about how to summarize this big principle. And I believe I have something that's really truly groundbreaking that will help all who seek to heed these instructions faithfully. And and I know, I'm about to throw this on you, I know it's deep and it's unique, so just hang in here with me. I, I really think the best way to summarize this big picture idea that we keep seeing over and over again, both in this letter and in the rest of the New Testament, is with an acronym. And that acronym is WWJD. It stands for What Would Jesus Do? Is that pretty good? Your, your giggles are making me think that perhaps someone's already thought of this. Is that, is that what you're telling me? This was not original? Okay, great. I need to cancel an order for 10,000 silicone bracelets then. As quickly as possible. Could someone help me with that? Someone text me, get my PayPal password real quick. Um, I'm kidding. I, I did know about that. But uh, <laughs> you, you, you want to get a good beat on your age? Here's something for you. It's been a little over 20 years since that phrase was at the, was at the height of its popularity. <laughs> I feel great about it, too. Don't worry. Um, I do want to say this, though. I think it's a little unfortunate that um, it was the 90s when that became so popular because, to some degree, that, that acronym or that thought, even, it kind of gets relegated in the same humorous way that you know, we see a lot of things that were popular in the 90s, like parachute pants, for example. Just because it, it was popular then, it's almost, we, we, you know, we have to kind of shove it into that box. And I, and I think that's a little bit unfortunate because the, the whole thought behind that, it, I'm, I'm joking kind of, but, but what would Jesus do is, is really a decent way to summarize Paul's whole point here throughout Ephesians 4 and 5. He keeps bringing it back to the imagery and the understanding of what Christ has done. Forgive as Christ has forgiven you, right? He's going to say, walk in love in the way that Christ has towards you. And so it's, it's this idea over and over again. It's, it's good. Um, now, <clears throat> I'm, I'm still looking at some of your faces. Some of you are still bummed out about how long ago the 90s were. So I've got something to cheer you up, though. I've got something to cheer you up, okay? How do you find Will Smith in the snow? Look for the fresh prints. Yeah. Don't shake your heads and act like that's not funny. You go ahead and laugh. It's okay. 
You know that was good. <laughs> Woohoo! The 90s were fun. All right. But this, this idea of, of looking to Jesus as our example, looking to Jesus as the motivation for all that we do, how, we, how do we gauge, how do we under, even understand what it means to walk in a manner worthy of our calling? What does that look like? Well, over and over again, Paul keeps saying, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus, over and over again. And uh, we see that here clearly in verses 1 and 2. It says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love, what? Just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. So he calls us to be imitators of God and walk in love, but here's the beautiful thing. He doesn't just leave us with no idea what that means, right? He doesn't leave it in the realm of the ethereal, and he doesn't leave room, thankfully, for us to come up with our own interpretation. What he does is he anchors the call to imitate God and to walk in love in the person the work, and the example of Jesus Christ, our King. I'm so thankful he does that because we'd be prone to wander and wonder about what does that mean to walk in a manner worthy? What does it mean to imitate God if he had just stopped there? You guys want to help explain that one? Right? What do we have? What we have is Jesus, right? Colossians and Hebrews both say that Jesus is the expressed image of God. If Jesus said it, if Jesus did it, that's the way God the Father would respond. So thankful for that. Walking in a manner worthy of our calling is walking in a manner worthy of the one who called us, and his name is Jesus. So what that means is, if you got a WWJD tat in 1998, and you've regretted it because people don't think it's cool anymore, man, you bust that thing out. If it's on your shoulder, go ahead. Get your muscle tank out and let it ride, man, because here's the thing. Running every single thing we do say or think through that grid is a godly principle that transcends time or trends. I'm not trying to bring WWJD back necessarily, but we shouldn't, because it's funny that it was in the 90s, not run everything we do through that question. You can say it differently. How would Jesus think about this? Or whatever, you know, if, if you don't want to be uncool, but let's, let's understand that this idea is... is absolutely this circular argument that Paul keeps coming back to. Here's, here's how we're going to walk in a manner worthy of this calling. We're going to be like Jesus in the way we think, in the way we act, in the way we speak. And so the rest of these verses today, they're just a continuation of this same thought. So through more specific instruction, analogy, and imagery, we're going to be encouraged to think, act, and speak like Jesus. So let's get after it, okay? Verses 3 through 6, it says, But immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. That starts verse 3. So <clears throat> this is a really good literal translation of the Greek, the NASB that I just read you, but there are other translations. I think NIV says it this way. There's other translations that they say it in a way I think helps to get the point of cross. There's other translations that will lay this out, and it'll say, Let there not even be a hint of these things found among you. Let there not even be a hint. A hint is defined as a barely perceptible amount. But what the scriptures are saying here is we should not permit even a hint of these things among us. Now, this is incredibly difficult, let's be honest, in a cultural context where crude and perverse actions are seen not only as normative, but often humorous. 
And as we are faced with this very high bar for purity, are you guys all still with me? Let there not even be a hint of greed, sexual immorality, covetousness, all that. Let there not even be a hint of these things found among, named among the people of God. Are we all understanding how, how severe of a call that is, how difficult that is? None. Well, maybe a little, maybe a little bit, right? No, right? Not even a hint, okay? This, this is a big deal. So as we're faced with this very high bar for purity in our thoughts and words and actions, we, we kind of come to a three-way fork in the road. There's three actions or ways we could think about it, okay? The first is, the first path is to deny that this is a struggle and pretend that all of our thoughts, words, and actions align with not even a hint of immorality, impurity, or greed. That's, that's path one. We could pretend we've got this down and, and we're perfect in this. Two, the second is to acknowledge that we struggle with this, but justify ourselves by minimizing what these verses are plainly saying because of some type of rationale like, well, I mean, everybody struggles with this at least a little, right? So we decide that these verses must not have the extreme meaning they seem to, right? We, we, we say, oftentimes we're known for saying as, as a collective culture, well, nobody's perfect. And what we mean when we say that is we think, well, if, every, if everybody's messed up, then everybody gets a hall pass, right? That's not how the scriptures see it. Everybody's messed up, so we all need a savior. <laughs> That's for sure. So the second way is we can minimize this and try to explain it away somehow so that it doesn't sting like it should. Okay, Here's a third path. is to acknowledge that we struggle with this and also acknowledge that these verses are setting a standard we can't possibly hope to meet on our own. So we confess our sin and weakness and ask the Holy Spirit to empower us to grow in Christ-like holiness daily. The third option is the only good option. The other two paths are off taken, but they lead to destruction. Now, some of you are listening to this and your wheels are turning, and I'm glad. That means you're engaged and really thinking about implications, okay? Some of you know you've already blown it when it comes to filthiness and, and silly talk and coarse jesting as we flow into verse 4. Some of you aren't sure uh, what you're going to do the next time because you want to obey these. You're hearing these things. You understand this call to walk in a manner worthy of the name of Christ. You're not sure what you're going to do, though, next time people at work or school or wherever you are, they start cracking crude jokes, and, and, and normally the expectation would be that you would jump in. Maybe, maybe you're the funniest one of them all. I don't know. But what do you do in that case? Now there's going to be some awkward situations if I'm going to try to step into this calling, if I'm going to try to obey these verses, that's going to change some interactions. It's going to change some situations. And you might be thinking, man, now what do I do? Do I, have to, do I have to quit my job and go start over? Do I have to find a new friend group? What, what do I do here? Because I've definitely blown it. I've said some crude things, some impure things. I've been a, a part of silly coarse jesting. I've, I've blown my witness in this place and in this case. What do you do? If that's you, I want to humbly submit to you, dear friend, that you have an amazing gospel opportunity in front of you. Because you're going to be able to model for them the reality of path three that I laid out for you. You're going to be able to under, go to them and say, hey, here's the thing. I'm a follower of Jesus, but there's been a lot of times in conversations and maybe things were being pulled up on somebody's phone, the video everyone's watching, where I've jumped right in, and that's definitely not a representation of who I serve or what I believe. And so not only have I repented to God for all of those actions, but I want, I want to repent to you guys. I want to ask you guys to forgive me because I have not represented well 
what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Now, many of you are still freaking out. You're like, hey, I thought you were going to give me an, a remedy for this. <laughs> this still sounds really intimidating and difficult, and, and I'm with you. It is if you try to do this on your own. You're going to need Holy Ghost boldness to step into a situation like that and be able to stand up and love those people enough to know that, yes, it does matter that your witness has been affected by your conduct. What you've said or what you've not said or what you've looked at or what you've done, these things do matter. You have, if they know you're a believer, they, they have associated that then with, oh, well, it must be okay for followers of Jesus to do that. Or they've called you a hypocrite behind your back if they know some scriptures, right? But the bottom line is, mo- you know, most people are not going to know what to do in that situation because most of our communication doesn't get down to that kind of heart level stuff. We just stay at, you know, sports and weather and whatever, right? We just stay on the surface. And a lot of people, they're just going to say, yeah, okay, that's great. They're going to do whatever they can to get you to stop because they're going to be uncomfortable by the fact that you're taking this thing heart level anyways. But you may, in that, be able to plant some gospel seeds that you wouldn't have been able to. Any other. It's going to shock some folks if you're willing to be bold enough to, to step into this gospel opportunity that you have. And so that's, that's the beauty of, of being a Christian that really understands how the gospel works, right? The, the call of God, the, the bars are high, right? We are supposed, Jesus is our example. But there's this understanding throughout the scripture that we are frail humans that aren't going to hit that mark. And that's why we have within the beautiful truth of the gospel, the, the understanding that we can confess sin, we can repent of sin, and that's with both God and people. And when we're willing to walk in that, it shows a humility uh, that is rare, and it will have <clears throat> a beautiful uh, effect upon the hearts of the people that you're willing to, to do that with. And so I would encourage you towards that. Uh, I know it might be a little scary, but God will help you if you'll, if you'll step out in faith. Uh, verse 5, I want to we're going to talk about verse 5 and 6 kind of coupled together, but I want to deal with verse 5 first a little bit. It says, For this you know with certainty, that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. And so I'm probably talking to mostly the same people uh, at this stage, because if you were self-aware enough to have thought about the fact that, man, I may have blown my witness in terms of some of these uh, standards that are laid out here in the first few verses, you, you may read that and think, wow, um, I, I have been immoral at times. I have been impure at times. I have coveted at times. I know there's been times where I've been an idolater. And so you may read that and begin to panic uh, because what it follows up with is you know that uh, they don't have an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. And so you might think, wow, okay, does that mean I've totally blown it? And, and what you need to uh, see in this is that it says, for this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. And so what that means is, this, it's, it's talking about somebody that their, their identity is wrapped up in that sin behavior because they have no connection to Christ. Okay, so when, if, if there's a point where you come and you realize, yes, I'm a sinner in need of a savior, you bow your knee to Jesus, you ask for his grace to save you. Um, you are no longer, your, your core identity is no longer idolater or impure or covetous or, or whatever the, the sins of choice were for you. You are now son or daughter of God. Okay, and so this verse isn't, isn't talking about you. It's talking about somebody that continues on in that sin, that continues on willfully rejecting the beautiful offer of Jesus to come and wash them clean of those sins. Okay, so 
we got to make sure we read that in context of the rest of what Ephesians and the rest of what the Scriptures teaches. Now, so what I'm trying to do there is bring clarity and comfort to somebody who might read verse 5 and begin to freak out thinking, okay, well, then maybe that means I'm not a believer or that um, you know, I don't have uh, any eternal placement with Christ and his kingdom. If you have surrendered your heart to Jesus and you've confessed your sin and received grace through faith, that is not applying to you. But let's flip the coin because then he says in verse 6, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Okay, So I do want you to know that if, if you are a son or daughter of God, you are no longer at core identity, idolater, impure, all of those things. You have a new identity, and that identity is in Christ. But on the other side, we, we need to not let people deceive us with empty words, because there, there are those that would say, oh, well, if you're in Christ, then grace means now that uh, it doesn't really, all, none of those things above matter. So everything I'm doing in terms of encouraging you towards walking in this way, they would say, well, that's, that's legalism. That's, that's too much. Uh, we, we, don't, we don't need all that kind of talk. That's just going to condemn people. And, and, you know, we're free in Christ and, and grace, grace, grace. And they'll throw this word around, uh, not, not really understanding what it means. And so verse 5, understanding it properly, and verse 6, understanding what it's saying properly, it keeps us out of the twin errors of legalism, and, and the technical term is antinomianism, but I'm just going to use hyper-grace because that's going to be easier for most of you to remember. Legalism is, says the gospel and the truth about Jesus, that's, that's not enough to save you. You need works as well. So yes, you're going to have to trust Christ, but then you're also going to have to do a bunch of stuff in order to keep yourself secure in him, okay? That's... that's not the gospel. The gospel is that we are justified by grace through faith in Christ alone. Good works follow. Good works always come with that justification, but it's out of love and gratitude for what Christ has already done, not to try to earn salvation, okay? But legalism doesn't understand that. Antinomianism or hypergrace is on the other side of this thing where it's like, okay, if, if I trust Christ, that means from now on it doesn't matter what I do. Well, that's a problem because James said, well, how are, you, how, are, how are you going to be sure that this faith you think you have is a reality? Because there are those that have been deceived into thinking that they really love the Lord, but your works will tell you. <laughs> that's what James said. Faith without works is dead. That's what he's talking about, right? And so we got to understand we're not saved by works, but we're saved to works. And if Jesus has really come and done this beautiful work of salvation in us, our desires are going to be going to change. Does that mean we don't stumble and fall into sin? No. It means that when we do, our hearts are broken over it. We're not just mad that we broke God's law. We're, our hearts are broken that we've broken his heart, that we understand that he's a good father. And anything he's asked us not to do is because if we do that thing, it'll hurt us. And anything he's asked us to do, it's because if we do that thing, it'll bless us and help us and lead to more joy and purpose. Okay? So we got to stay out of those ditches. There's a gospel middle path that's safe. Um, and, and most of us have a tendency towards one or the other. You are probably more likely to be a legalist or more likely to be on that hyper-grace end of the spectrum based on environment, the way you came up, your particular struggles. Um, and we need to understand that that's why we need the gospel all the time. We don't need, you don't just need uh, a weekly gathering of God's people where the gospel is presented to you again 
uh, from different angles and in different ways. We need the gospel every day. It should be in the forefront of our minds, and it should, our, our thinking should be soaked uh, in the truth of the gospel, or else we track off into these ditches that lead to destruction. Okay, that brings us to verses 7 through 14. We're going to take those together. So let's, let's read those again, refresh our memory. Therefore, do not be partakers with them, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason it says, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Paul picks up on imagery language here that Jesus used often in his teachings. In John chapter 8, Jesus said, I am the light of the world, speaking of himself. But in Matthew 5, he says to those who follow him, you are the light of the world. So, which is it? It's both. The Holy Spirit of God inside of us is the flame, and we are his chosen candles. We are nothing but wax without him, but with him we can bring the beautiful light of Jesus into every situation. Now, I know that I, I, I joked earlier about having this deep idea about WWJD, but I, I'm real totally serious when I tell you that I believe that God showed me something through these verses that is, it's the missing piece to the puzzle for so many people. And there's, there's help in here for us. I know that many of you feel stuck. Many of you struggle with circular patterns of sin Many of you exhaust yourselves moving from one idol to the next, looking for hope and purpose because you have thus far been unable or unwilling to truly grab a hold of this one profound truth. Verse 8 doesn't just say that you are now in the light of the Lord because you've been saved by grace through faith in Jesus. It says you are light in the Lord. You are light in the Lord. My dear friends, this is not some arbitrary difference. This changes everything. Let's talk about how. My, my question to you, I want you to really run yourself through this grid. I want you to think through this and ask yourself this. Do you see yourself as light in the Lord? Have you really thought about what that means? And have you shouldered the glorious mantle that comes with it? What would change about the way you walk into your home or your job or the gas station for that matter if you really believed you were light in the Lord? The light of the world that Jesus talked about. What this means is that your king has placed upon you the responsibility for the spiritual reality of every single place you walk into. How much fickle foolishness could we avoid if we truly stepped up to this responsibility? How much less prone to sin would we be if we walked in the glorious occupation of being light in the world? How could we be distracted by lesser things that seem to steal our focus so often if we truly 
took up this idea and this truth of being light in the Lord. Let, let, me, let, let me break it down like this. If we really buy into the reality that Jesus calls us to be light, we will be so much less prone to buying into the deceptions that lead to darkness. How does this work out practically? If you're married and you really believe you are light in the Lord, you know it is your responsibility to love, serve, and show grace to your spouse. Not just because it's what you're supposed to do, but because of who you are. If you're single and you really believe you are light in the Lord, you know it's your responsibility to reflect the beauty and reality of being whole, content, and fulfilled in Christ. Not because you're supposed to, but because of who you are. If you encounter someone who's hurting or in need, and you really believe you are light in the Lord, you know it is your responsibility to show them kindness and compassion. Not because you're supposed to, but because of who you are. If you encounter someone who is still blinded by the darkness of sin, and you are light in the Lord, you know it's your responsibility to love them and speak to them in truth and grace. Not because of a rule you have to follow, but because of who you are. If you are light in the Lord, you walk different and talk different because you know that wherever you are and whoever you are with, you are called to reflect the light of Christ and his glorious gospel into that situation. It changes everything. Now, I need to address those who may be here or may hear this sermon and have not surrendered themselves to the benevolent reign of King Jesus. And I have to do that because verse 8 starts with this. For you were formerly darkness. Friend, if that's you, if you're someone who is yet to bow your knee to Jesus, there, you need to understand this. There is no neutral ground. You are either light because you have acknowledged your sin and embraced your need for Jesus to save you, or you are darkness. You are helping Jesus spread light and hope in this world, or you are helping the forces of darkness spread despair. There is no other option. We would like to believe there is some neutral middle ground where we can stand. It's not the case. Even our good deeds, done for any purpose other than to point to the ultimate good in God, serve to advance the agenda of God's enemies. The good news, however, is this. If that's you, God has already made clear through his word that you can be free from slavery to sin and darkness. You can be free to joyfully serve in his kingdom of light. If you will acknowledge that you're not perfect on your own and that you're unable to save yourself, and if you'll ask Jesus to forgive you as you surrender your life to him, the Bible says that you will be saved. And I praise God that that is true. And nobody who is currently enjoying the amazing benefit of being a part of 
God's kingdom of light is looking down upon you because we all remember and we all know that we formerly too were darkness. Nobody changes that without Christ. We all have had to bow the knee and surrender. He's the only one that has the answer. It's not a control thing. It's just that God is the only one. (laughs) Jesus is the only way. That's not out of being mean. That's out of just the reality of the situation. There was only one way to solve the problem of sin. It's through Christ. That brings us to verse 14. Verse 14 is most likely part of an early Christian hymn. Let me read it to you again. It says, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Verse 14 is part of how God began to stir me and begin to show me that I have this, this desperate responsibility to, to call my brothers and sisters in Christ to embrace their calling as light in the Lord and to walk in a manner worthy of that calling. Because what he's saying here, awake, sleep, or arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you, that applies to the person that is lost in darkness, but there's also many sleepers among God's kingdom. There's many of us who have we, we have the ability to walk with this mantle of being bearers of light in a world that is full of darkness. We have the ability to bring into every situation the beauty and the love and the goodness of Christ's gospel. We have that ability and we're sleeping on it. And it's pitiful. And a lot of it comes down to identity. A lot of it comes down to this one simple fact. You may believe that Jesus is the light of the world. And you may even believe that he's called us collectively to be the light of the world, but you, don't, you, haven't, been able, you haven't even either been willing or able to grab a hold of this fact that you, you, dear one, are light in this world. That you are called by Christ to bear light in every single situation. And if you will take that mantle upon you, it will change the way you deal with people. It will change the way you deal with temptation. Spurgeon used to say to people, there's one, answer, there's one answer for the devil's temptations. I'm a Christian. Period. Right? I belong to Jesus. Conversation over. Step on with the foolishness. When we understand what it means to be called to be light in this world, we were not just saved for some eternal glorious inheritance. I thank God there's an eternal glorious inheritance, but we were saved for a purpose here and now. And it's to bring the light and the goodness of this gospel to a world that is sick and broken and lost. We can't sleep on that, friends. Awake is the call of God to us today. Wake up. Walk in the way that you've been called to his glory. Verses 15 through 21, they give us more specifics on what it looks like to walk as light in the Lord. I'm so thankful for the way the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to do this. He doesn't just give us big principles, but then he spells it out for us, helps us understand what does this really look like. So it says, therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. If we know that we're called to be light in this world, we will not only be intentional intentional minute by minute, but we will also think 
big picture about the time that we've been given. And there's two Greek words for time. One would be more minute by minute. The other one would be like, make the most of the time, as in like the time that you have in totality, thinking about what, however many breaths God gives you in your existence, make the most of those. And that fitting of that, that Greek word fits more in that context. Of course, if you're thinking about the, the big picture, that translates down to the minute by minute. But do, do we think about that? Do we understand that because we've been saved by grace through faith in Christ, because he's made us ambassadors, messengers, supposedly carrying this light to a world that needs it, do, does that factor in the way we allocate this precious resource of time? Because we're all complaining about it, aren't we? We're all complaining about not having enough of it. We need to mix into that conversation an idea and understanding that the days are evil, there is darkness, and there is a call upon the people of God to do something with the time we've been given. We've got to make the most of this time. Sometimes that, so what does that mean? That doesn't mean that 24 hours a day, seven days a week, we're out on the streets handing tracts to people. That means partially that when you're at home with your children, you're understanding that God's called you to be a light to them as well. It's when you're at work, God's called you to be a light in that context and in that situation. There's people there, right? Unless you're a miner in a cave and you've got your own chute that you're down. Maybe, maybe you totally work by yourself and have nothing to do with anybody. Most of you have interaction with other people. You're called to be a light in that context. Make the most of your time. wherever we are. Amen. Verse 17. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. If your job was to watch a screen that monitored the temperature of a nuclear reactor, and throughout the day you had to make you know, slight adjustments as needed to control the temperature of that reactor, and you know that if the temperature rises beyond a certain threshold, that millions of people are going to die from the subsequent explosion and fallout? Here's my question. If that's your job, would you be dinking around, taking long breaks, I'm down in the break room, you know what I mean, taking a nap? Is that the kind of approach you would have to that kind of job, that if you're not watching what you're doing and you're not making those adjustments, everybody in 20 miles is dead? I hope not. I'm not getting a great sense of where you land on this. I'm hoping you're just thinking. And what I should not take from your faces is that, yes, I would be in the break room guy. You know? (laughs) Wow. All right. I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt on that. Just assume that's what, what, what we're dealing with. I really hope not because... The responsibility for millions of lives hangs on you doing the job you've been given to do. It's no different with our call to be light in this world. I'm going to press it farther. It's really even more crucial because in my analogy, really, what we're dealing with, it's more like the explosion has already happened and we are called to go out and rescue those who without help will surely die from the effects of the radiation. Okay, so if, if you're on, forget it, we are, break room guy already blew the thing, okay? So he's gone too. So now your job is rescue team, okay? What are you doing? Are you, are, are you, just, 
are you parking the Humvee behind somewhere where nobody's going to find out and, and taking a nap while people are out here laying and dying in the middle of a nuclear wasteland? And you've, you've got radiation suits, you've got, you've got the injection that's going to help save their lives, all that's sitting in the back. What are you doing? Are you out jumping stuff with your Humvee? I'm, I'm hoping you're using every single second and praying that God would sustain you to have supernatural strength to save as many people as possible. I'm assuming that's the kind of crowd of people I'm dealing with. The problem is we just get lulled into this, this sense of non-importance when it comes to the mission of bringing the medicine of Jesus to the sick of this world. The medicine of the gospel to those who are sick because of sin. We get lax. We get lazy. We get unintentional. We get distracted. Okay? I'm hoping if you're out in the Humvee, you know, and, and Bambi goes by, you're not like, oh, I'm going to see where it's going. Two-hour detour, right? 50,000 people just died. And I realize this example is kind of extreme, but we need extreme examples because if we're, we're on, let's be honest with ourselves, we all, we all have been falling asleep on this. We all, I mean, it's like Satan singing lullabies all the time. Don't worry, it's all right. Rockabye Christian. Don't worry about that. I'm done singing. I saw some of you like looking for the exits. <clears throat> you see what I'm saying though? Okay, let's look at verse 18. You're going to like this. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Okay? I'm, I'm just going to take that and mix it into the analogy, okay? So... If we're driving around the Humvees trying to save people, are, are, are we getting shwasted before we do that? <laughs> While every, you know, everyone else in the tri-state region is, is going to die if you mess up? Bunch, bunch of people, man, are, are going to lose their life? Here's my question. In, in that situation, that dire of a circumstance, are you going to play little semantics games like, oh, I'm not drunk, I'm buzzed? Probably not. You're probably going to be able to just ditch your friends Jose Cuervo and Jack Daniels for a while and go help some people, not die. I mean, here's the thing, guys. We, we live here. Let's make it personal. It's not just random faces out here dying of radiation poisoning. You got family and friends that live here? You got people you love and care about close by? If a nuke plant blew off, you know, right here in the tri-state area, are people that you know and love going to be affected? Well, here's the thing. We, that, that affection and, and the fact that, that that maybe strikes at an emotional nerve that hadn't yet shows us an area of prayer that we need to seek God in because he's called us to have the love that he had for us for everybody. Remember, the lawyer stood up and, and, and he tried to challenge Jesus. Teacher, what's... What's, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus threw it back on him because he's so good at that. How does it read to you? And he says, well, you should love the Lord your God, holy heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, if you do that, you're on the right track. Then the lawyer says, well, who's my neighbor? What's he doing? He's trying to find out how, how wide does this really go? How many people do I really have to love and care for. And anybody remember what Jesus' response was after that? 
He goes into a parable. You remember which one? The Good Samaritan. Which he ends with, who was a good neighbor? The guy that helped, right? Go and do the same. If you don't know the Good Samaritan, go check it out. If I get into it, uh, we're going to be here too long. There's a lot of good stuff in there. So, Paul, he busts out this specific example about be filled with the Spirit instead of being drunk with wine, but really he's still just talking about what it looks like to be light in the Lord. What it looks like to be light in the Lord is to not be distracted by foolish stuff like getting drunk and or add in whatever your thing is, okay? Don't, you know, if you're not somebody that has any uh, <clears throat> issue with alcohol whatsoever, do, do not be prancing around in here on your high horse, okay? Because you got issues, <laughs> There's something you're struggling with. There's something that would be a distraction for you. So insert that in there. Be filled with the Spirit instead of that. Right? Amen. Okay. I, I have to, I'm an equal opportunity offender. I had to make sure, you know. I already got the alcohol, folks. So I now I had to get everybody. So, all right. <laughs> Amen. I'm glad the gospel smacks me around every once in a while. Like every time. Okay, where are we at? 19. We're going to take 19 and 21 together, and then we'll round out with verse 20 at the end. So 19, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody with your heart to the Lord. Verse 21, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Woo, we don't like that one. Be subject. Hold on. What's that mean? Well, that's talking about Christian accountability. That's talking about the fact that nobody's doing this solo Lone Ranger style. It's talking about the fact that you should have people in your life that can check you. You should have somebody in your life that has a Bible in their hand and loves you, and you should have a, a, enough self-awareness and humility to understand you're going to think dumb thoughts sometimes, you're going to do dumb things sometimes, and you're going to need the help of somebody to check. Well, I've got Jesus for that. <clears throat> Can I read you the verse again? Be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Okay? So if you would like to believe that you are the one super Christian, you are Neo in the Matrix, Ephesians 5.21 doesn't apply to me, that's fine if that's how you want to go at it. I'm just telling you, as you mature in Christ and as he humbles you and breaks you down in that, eventually you're going to come back around and say, you know what, Pastor Vince, you were right. Ephesians 5.21 was for me too. <laughs> Who knew? We all knew. Love you. So that's talking about Christian accountability. You know, I, I, I for years, have taught th a, th a three-tier level of accountability. I, I can back it up the scriptures. I'm not going to do the whole thing, but you should have somebody in your life that's over you in the Lord, that knows more Bible than you, that's closer to Jesus than you. Somebody that if they say, hey, stop, you immediately stop in your tracks because you respect them and you know they love you and you got somebody in your life that can put you in instant check right now. You, everyone needs that. Everybody needs that. You need people next to you that are running with you, man, because as you're running this race, there's going to be points where you, you trip and go to stumble and fall, and having somebody that's running next to you grab your arm and say, nope, come on, let's keep going, sometimes the accountability that comes from that is really, really helpful. Also, if you're a Christian and you have been translated from the kingdom of darkness and brought to the kingdom of light, then you should have somebody that's behind you that you are helping to lead. There's a level of accountability that comes from that, and I'm going to tell you, of the three layers of accountability, I've got... 
Brothers in my life, that I, if they say to me, I think you're in sin, you need to stop right now. I'm going to stop, stand to attention, and listen to what they're saying. And, and I'm not going to play with that. I've got people next to me in the Lord running with me. But the thing, when I'm tempted to do something stupid, the thing that breaks my heart the quickest and snaps me out of whatever that thought process is, is when I think about the faces of all the people that I'm going to be letting down, that I'm supposed to be showing them how to be more like Jesus. And you might say, well, I don't know very much Bible. I don't know who I could lead. Listen, if you know the gospel, you can grab somebody that doesn't know the gospel and say, come with me. And then that pushes you to keep learning. That pushes you to keep growing. So you can stay ahead of them, keep helping them. I mean, if, if you love them, which is kind of the whole point, what we're talking about. Amen. Okay. Uh, singing to each other, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. That's really, he's just talking about another way to encourage one another. Um, you know, I, I don't, you know, I think all the verses are for me. That one's hard for me because I haven't found anybody yet that wants me to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to them. Um, but I guess that's not true. I got my kids. I can sing my kids. They don't know it's bad yet. And so I've taught them some songs. They like it. But, um, the whole point there is, I don't, I don't think the major point is the singing. It's, it's the encouraging. It's, it's, we're speaking Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. These are, these are gospel words. These are Bible words. We're, we're encouraging one another. So we're holding each other accountable, but we're also speaking words of encouragement to each other. And if you got one of those voices that people want you to sing to them, well, glory, hallelujah for you. I'm not mad about it. It's okay. Lord just, you know, he makes us different. Okay. Verse 20, I told you we were going to circle back around and end with that. It says, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. What I tell you we're doing here, 15 through 21, it's, it's laying out practically more examples. He goes, he goes big picture. He uses the analogy of light and us being light in the Lord, what that means. Big principle, then he starts to lay down the specifics. And one way that we can practically walk as light in this world, one way that we can show the world this God we serve, this Jesus we love is real and powerful, is to give thanks for all things in the name of our Lord. That is one way that we can bring light into a world that is honestly full of discontented complaining, largely. That, that discontentment and that complaining, it's a natural and sinful part of our human condition. But when you are genuinely grateful, friends, no matter how good or bad the circumstance is, it's going to be like shining a million candle power flashlight right in their eyes because that's going to that's gonna stand out against the backdrop of everything else that's going on. Everything else that's going on is teaching you to be discontent with what you have, sometimes uh, glorifying that discontentment as being hungry, right? And I'm not, God doesn't, God isn't calling us to have no ambition, but to have gospel-shaped ambition, right? Like if if you have a desire to, to build a business and, and be successful in, in that arena, that's great as long as the wind pushing the sails of that thing is gospel-centered, is gospel-shaped. I want to build a business so that not only can I provide for the needs of my family, but also, as we just read a couple weeks ago, so that I have enough left over to be generous, to give towards gospel mission, to be a part of what God is doing in the earth. If I'm going to use gifts and talents and time that God has given me, to build a business, well, that business better be, have a, an easily connected 
uh, implication to what's going on in the kingdom, right? If, and if I got to stretch for that or make it up real quick when someone asks me, then maybe we're not walking in that. But the point here is gratitude will run against the grain of what is natural because we are totally prone to being discontent, to complain, and to grumble, right? The, the story of the Israelites in the wilderness after Egypt, that's not in there for you to just say, wow, ancient people were really stupid. I can't believe they would get out of Egypt and within weeks they're complaining about wanting to eat onions and leeks again back in Egypt. How dumb can you be? That's not the point of the story. The point of the story is for you to go, oh, I'm them. Because we are. Because God, even in what God is doing for us, even in him delivering us, even in him moving his hand in beautiful ways and in powerful ways to help us, we can still get foolish. We can still get ungrateful. And, and this gratitude I'm talking about, guys, it has to happen at the heart level because fake gratitude or uh, even just shoving down your discontentment, that, that does not have the same effect as pure, beautiful radiance of, of a person who is genuinely thankful. Somebody who really actually just is so thankful to God for everything, both both good and bad, being able to understand that he's working all things for their good. That kind of, of just Holy Spirit-empowered gratitude, that, that'll catch people's attention. And I know, I know some of you, you walk in that in, in a really gracious way that I look up to, and, and I've heard the stories of how it'll catch the attention of people that have been fumbling in darkness. They see that light. And it'll give you an opportunity to talk about how you can be that way. And it's not just because you're naturally sweet as pie, it's because the Lord Jesus has done something miraculous in you. Amen. Praise God. May we be a people who take seriously our call to walk as light in the Lord for our good and his glory. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus, Lord God. We thank you for Ephesians 5. Thank you, Lord, for laying out in this imagery language in a way that we can understand that you've called us to be light. God, you haven't just brought us into the light. You have made us the light. Lord, most of us feel unqualified for that task. Most of us understand that we do not have what it takes to do that job. It's too big for us. But I thank you, God, that you... You keep us in that place. You keep us in a place of humility, understanding that we can't do any of what you've called us to do without you. Thank you, God, that you've built in safeguards so that we don't run out in foolishness and cause destruction thinking we can do this on our own, Lord. When we really understand what you've called us to, when you said that there's not even supposed to be a hint of immorality, impurity, greed among us, God, we know we are so far from that. And again, we are brought low to the place where we belong, which is at your feet declaring our need for you. God, we didn't just need you to save us. We needed you for that, but that wasn't it. We need you with us. I'm thankful that you didn't call us to go into all the world and make disciples, and that was the last thing you said, but you understood we would need you, and so you promised us you would be with us even to the end of the age. We need you. Can't do any of this without you, God. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you're faithful to your promise to be with us. God, I ask you to continually cultivate in us an understanding of what it means to be light, what it means 
to affect the spiritual reality of situations that we're in. Help us to walk with the mantle of responsibility, knowing that you've called us in every place we go to affect that place for your glory. Thank you, God, that we are candles, but you're the flame. Lord, may we carry you into those places. May we understand what it means to be called your children, to be called ambassadors of this beautiful gospel. This is not our home. We're in a foreign land, but you've sent us here on a mission, and it's to talk about the good country from whence we came and where we're headed. Oh, God, and to declare the great worth and beauty of the king of that country. It's you, Lord Jesus. We exalt you and magnify you and we worship you. Thank you, Lord. Please help us. Please help us in our conduct, God, to walk as light. Help us in boldness and love to walk as light. Help us, God, in gratitude at all times to walk as light. We want to do what it is you've made us to do. We know that joy and purpose is found in one place. And that's in the groove that you cut out for us. It's in the purpose for which you saved us and made us. And so, just please, Lord, help us. Help us to walk in these things. Help us repent quickly when we don't. And may you be glorified in all of this. We love you and we worship you alone. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org.